Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Here this morning, um, and maybe you're fairly new to this whole thing. Um, we're taking a deep dive this morning, so uh, I just want to kind of warn you. We're in chapter 13 of Revelation, and uh, this is somewhere halfway getting a little past halfway in the book, and uh, we're going to dive deep. Um, there's uh, very uh, exciting and big stuff in chapter 13. If you want to find your place there, uh, we're going to dive in in just a second. But I want to just give you a background. Um, we've been in this book. It's the last book in the Bible, and I encourage you. Many people stay away from this book. They're intimidated by it. They're scared by it. All the above, in which we all are, all those things. But it's the only book in the Bible, folks, that comes with a blessing to those who read it, who hold it, and who take, uh, take it in and says, and keep it, right, as the church, especially as we see, right, the time, right, moving towards um, the end, which we don't know when that will be. Um, only God does now. But we do know in Scripture that God gives these promises to His people. If we'll open our ears, be a prophetic people, listen to Him, pray to Him, that as time moves on, God is going to bring greater understanding, greater wisdom, right, to his people to know the signs of the times, right, to be prepared as such. Um, so this morning, <clears throat> chapter 13, I want to look at this idea of faith to withstand hostility. Uh, I've mentioned before early on in this series, which we started through this crazy couple years we've been through and all the changes and all the kind of shakedown and insecurity and confusion. You just throw all these words out to our culture today, right, and here in America, but I think one of the things that the church is wrestling with, what believers are wrestling with right now is, I'm going to just make a general assumption, most of us have grown up in a culture here in America that have, has, you know, for the most part, the culture affirmed our faith, it affirmed the Christian values and, and those kind of things, uh, and really, uh, that is disappearing, Right is that those values, you're going to find fewer and fewer places, even businesses today and other things that actually affirm the Christian message or values. And you're going to find more hostility towards the things of God and Jesus. And we talk about it all the time. You can go to anywhere in public today. You can bring up every God and spiritual thing in this valley imaginable. You bring up the name of Jesus and everything changes. And that should be an encouragement to you in the sense of the truth of the power in the name, Right. But uh, it hasn't always been that way. We're moving into a different time, and we've got to be ready. And actually, the good news for us, folks, is it puts us back into kind of the environment of the early church. It's exactly um, what the whole New Testament was written under a time where the culture was not affirming. Matter of fact, it was persecuting, it was hostile to the message of Jesus. And uh, historically, that's when the church has been the strongest. So we're in this interesting time, and we'll talk about just some of the cultural things that are going on and some wisdom of how to move forward in this time as believers holding on to his word and, uh, and learn from what God has to say here. So again, if you're here and, and you've never even studied, I, I'm, uh, I'm amazed, I guess I shouldn't be, but surprised at the number of people I talk to who have never studied this book, who've never even heard it, and they've been in church for their entire life. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to do the best I can to just kind of do a little summary here before we dive in. My encouragement to you is hang in there. 
Don't let this blow you away. If anything, my prayer is that it will spark a curiosity. It will awaken your heart to know more. And even if you're here or watching online and you don't don't believe in Jesus, you're really not a Christian, you don't know where you're at and the whole thing, I hope that this will spark some curiosity. This will awaken something in your soul that will have you move towards other believers and just get curious. Just have a discussion. I hope if anything... Uh, what we're going to throw out here this morning, there's going to be plenty to talk about, plenty to have discussion over coffee or lunch after church about. And as always, we want that, that conversation to continue. So please talk to us. We'd love to help get you in one of our discipleship groups, one of our community groups, our microchurches. Um, tonight, we're back here at the outpost. It's a time when we come together. We focus on corporate prayer, worship, and dive in a little bit to the word. Um, So a a lot of different avenues to get you plugged in. We need faith, friends. We need, and we'll see it this morning, uh, we need that uh, that exhortation, that encouragement from each other uh, to make a stand, to have our our faith built up and strengthened. And that is why um, we we gather together, right? To have to help build up each other's faith through worship, through the word, through ministry that we'll enter into after uh, the message um, this morning. Okay, here we go. Big, uh, just to get everybody kind of somewhat back where we're, before we dive into 13. Revelation is written by the Apostle John, uh, the brother of James, the sons of thunder. He was the beloved disciple. Um, he is old at this time. He's exiled to the island of Patmos off of Turkey. Uh, he oversaw a, a, a lot of churches in modern-day Turkey, uh, Asia at the time, back then. Uh, he, the beginning of this book, he wrote seven letters from Jesus to him to give to these seven churches that were representative of a message to all of the church right around the world that we are to heed. Each one of those letters ends with, he who has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, let him hear. And if, boy, uh, that is so critical for us to tune in our ears prophetically, God, what are you saying to us as a church today? What do we need to correct and, um, and, and realign, right, to get your your people back on focus with you and be prepared. Um, so he gives that, and then he moves this, this which is, this, this book is, uh, actually it's Revelation, not Revelations tech, technically. It's from the Lord, and, and it's these um, prophetic words that the Spirit of God gives John to give to us, obviously, uh, as the church to hold on to. And... Um, those of you who have studied it, I've tried to encourage people. If you have man's system, a timeline or anything, I just I hope you'll set that aside. Is the only way this can come alive is we treat it like prophetic language, apocalyptic language, which is um, the word means just revelation, revealed truth of God. Uh, is that we have to go back to the Old Testament and understand because every bit of this book, uh, the last book in the Bible, brings the whole old the whole Bible together. Um, to, to make sense of it. So that more than man's schemes of trying to put things together in a piece, there's a place for that. But I think we miss something of the deeper message and the bigger picture of what God's wanting to do if we get focused there. So it, the book, um, John has basically three sets of, um, of judgments that move us towards the end. The first one, the seal judgment, and we've already seen those. Jesus is only unworthy to take the scroll from God and to start undoing this, the, uh, 
the seals. And these are pictures of birth pains, things throughout the world that have been happening that should be really signs to us, as Romans 1 says, nobody's without excuse. We should see the creation, the universe. We should see the groaning of creation, just throwing the earthquakes, all the different things that happen, wars, rumors of wars. Those should be wake-up calls to humanity to say, hey, we are broken. There's something wrong with this earth, and we can't fix it. And um, again, but nothing changes, right? The powers of the world, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of, that Satan's in charge of, right, is pushing on um, this idea that somehow we can just rally together. We can make things better. No time in history have we ever done that. Still to this day, matter of fact, we're on the brink of world war right now as we speak, right? Over with Ukraine and Russia. Who knows what's going to happen there, right? Roars and rumors of wars. We've never been a people of peace. We've never been able to, in our ability to, uh, to bring and stop the atrocities, right, that have plagued our, our world. It should be a loud megaphone, we need God. We need something outside of us to help. But we see the hardness of heart and man's power and control continue the kingdom of world against the kingdom of God. And this is what the book of Revelation just takes us to the end. And, and it comes to this huge um, kind of climax. We move from the seven seals to the seven trumpet judgments. And this is like everything in Revelation moves us towards this end day, the day of the Lord when God makes everything new again. And then, um, and so we're in this chapter 13, we're in this interlude before we get into the last bowl judgments, which all happen pretty much uh, in the last days when, uh, when Jesus returns. And this interlude gives us some details about what is going to happen during those times when it comes. In chapter 13 specifically, um, we're looking at the dragon who is Satan. We're looking at um, the Antichrist, this world leader who's going to rise up and Satan's going to actually give him more power than any world, evil world leader has ever had before. And then there's the false prophet, another beast, who's going to be the right hand of the Antichrist, who is going to harness religion of the world to worship and give, um, uh, give allegiance to the, this Antichrist, this world leader. Um, and then we'll see that they create an image, and we'll talk about that, that uh, controls and actually moves all that uh, towards the end. And, uh, I, and you might be there like, what is going on? And let me just say, this language of getting re ready to read, it was written, right, 2,000, you know, long ago, right? And so he's trying his best to put in those terms and bring all of what was written about in the book of Daniel and other places in the Old Testament to bear to define what's going to happen later in history. Um, folks, the Antichrist is not, as we're going to read about, some beast with fangs and everything like that. This is going to be the slickest character on earth. He's going to be the person that, as we'll see, has incredible power to bring some kind of peace to the world and everything else. He's, and, and this false prophet is going to be the one who actually deceives people into believing that some man right, can actually solve the world's problems as he brings the nations together ultimately against um, to elevate the power of man against um, God's kingdom. Uh, so, and I just say this to you, is Jesus said this in all the discourse, Matthew 24, as the end comes, there will be more and more false prophets. There will be more and more false religions. There will be more confusion. There will be more spiritual stirring. There will be a greater increase of signs, wonders, and miracles, some good and some bad, right, of, from the evil uh, forces. And we're already seeing um, some of that stuff, even in our own context here um, in America, and we'll get into that as well. So with all that, just as a little background, we're going to step into chapter 13 and part of Revelation, part of this 
this word that God, that Jesus has given John to share to the church, to be ready to understand and to have faith that can withstand hostility. Um, and we'll see here the role, our role to exhort each other. And this is why we gather together. Folks, this is to, you can't, none of us can stand in the midst of the pressures and temptation of the world, if we don't have faith friends, if we do not gather and have accountability and lock arms with other believers. Uh, this is what we see reinforced throughout um, the book of uh, Revelation. And so again, that would be our strong plea is, man, continue the conversation. Come if you've got questions. Let's sit down and dive in and, uh, and hear what you got and, and journey together on this. Okay, here we go. Chapter 13, the book of Revelation. Um, I'm going to step back because the last part of chapter 12 is actually connected in the original text. In other words, in the original text, it was written in Greek. There was no chapter breaks, okay? It says, and he stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Uh, the he who stood on the sand of the sea from chapter 12 is specifically speaking about the dragon, Satan himself. And we know chapter 12 makes it very clear that the ancient serpent of old, going back to the Garden of Eden that tempted Eve and caused this whole fall and uh, everything else was Satan himself. And we talked about last week that you can't understand the Bible and, and life in any of this without having a biblical worldview that is a spiritual worldview to understand that everything physically that happens here, that there is a spiritual realm that is in power and influences what's happening here. And all of us have grown up in a Western, at least I think most of us here, have grown up in a Western environment where you have been taught, and more than you ever believe, it has been shoved down your throat, subversively and other, um, a very materialistic worldview to just question even the idea of a devil or, or that there's a spiritual realm and demons and angels that, yeah, you just, that's kind of something for Hollywood. Um, but that is the biblical worldview. That is the course of time. That's the truth of God's will. Uh, um, his word for us. <clears throat> and so chapter 12, we saw this incredible, it, kind of the heavens open. We had this picture of the spiritual realm and the war that was going down in the spiritual realm. And then it's influence here on the earth itself. And so this beast that says, uh, or the dragon who stood on the sand of the sea is specifically Satan. And uh, just a little background, right, is that remember when, Jesus, when Satan took Jesus and tempted him in the desert, he said, here, bow and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Because Satan said they've been given to me. Now, I don't have time. Wednesday at the podcast, I'll go deep into that in the Old Testament, how that is. But um, specifically, the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, make it very clear that the kingdoms of the world, the governments of the world are ultimately under the power of Satan, under evil power, the prince and power of the air. Now, that's going to have to inform our understanding of what's the hope of the world. And uh, we'll have some exhortation for us to understand how we see politics and our role in that and in, in the hope of the world and everything else. Um, and so he stands, the, and the sea, throughout the scripture, the sea is a picture of chaos. It's a picture of darkness and the unknown. Going back to the book of Job, um, who gives us this picture of these two beasts, actually, one on land, one on sea. This is where part of this comes in as well, that God, that fight against God, and God ultimately um, battles them. The picture of that is here, the actual world, world leader and the prophet himself. All right, here we go. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, and the ten diadems on his horns, and blasphemous names on his heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like bears, and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. 
And to it, the dragon, Satan, gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Uh, so all of this language, I don't have time to go break it down, but you can go back to the book of Daniel. And these, these are the imagery that Daniel got thousands of years beforehand, speaking about these future governments, these future world kingdoms. And, um, and back then it was Babylon, Assyria, Greece, Rome, uh, and, and the, they're coming together in their force uh, in their partnership with Satan for evil in the world. And, uh, and he's bringing all this together in the end, in this final right, expression of evil um, against the kingdom of God. Now, I'll come back to this idea of the mortal ruin, but, but just, just in your brain, what's happening, the dragon is Satan, and he's in the spiritual realm, and here in the end, he, he takes, just like he filled Judas in the end, he, he fills this world leader, gives him incredible power, gives him his throne. Now, um, remember, Satan said to Jesus, just bow before me, and I'll give you all of the thrones of the, of the kingdom. So, in other words, this is somebody who is going to be given world authority like no other ruler ever in the history of the world as the time comes to the end. Verse 5, and the beast was given a mouth uttering, and the beast, just remember the dragon is Satan in the spiritual realm, the beast is the Antichrist, it's this world leader um, that comes up out of the sea, out of chaos, right? Uh, and, and the enemy gives him uh, this, this power. And that power, folks, is, by the way, what has corrupted every evil world leader. And can you think of a kingdom that has never gone evil? Has there ever been a righteous kingdom? Even Israel in the Old Testament. What happens when power... Who, so, it, in other words, if, if you're sitting there and you're really struggling with this and you're still kind of in a material world and, and you know your history, I just challenge you, show me anywhere throughout all of history where when man has a kingdom... Has he ever been able to actually not let that power and evil take over and a dominion take over in that kingdom, right, over a period of time, right? Um, no, it's just, it's, it's part of the evil kingdom of, of the world, and we'll get into more of that in just a second. In other words, we need a savior. The whole thing, we should look at history and say, ah, we need someone to save this world. And this is exactly what Jesus has, has done when he's come. And um, so let's uh, read on. It says that, uh, verse 5, the beast um, was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. We talked about that last week. That's three and a half years, a very key number in understanding. It's a period of testing. It's a special period that will move us towards the very end, um, the tribulation specific time, right, itself. Uh, it, <clears throat> It opens its mouth, this is the Antichrist, to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints, in other words, the church, to conquer them. And the authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain... <clears throat> Okay, wow. 
So this just tells you that this authority is vast. It's, uh, it's around the world, that this world leader, he gets the attention, he gets the, the loyalty of every tongue, every tribe, every nation, and has a, a group. Again, if, if I had time, you go back in the, the ten horns, right, and the seven heads speak of, of actually a, a nations and kings over those nations that come together um, in the end. And, um, and th- there's this, this battle, right? Uh, uh, and the power that's given, he makes war against the church. He's given authority, right, to do that over all the nations. And, um, <clears throat> and all those who worship. And it says, all the earth will worship. And I just want to point out, you say, well, I'm not going to worship some, some guy. And you think, that's just crazy to think about. And, uh, uh, but you have to understand what worship means. It's because our context is here. We're worshiping God and Jesus, right? But you have to understand worship is just what I give worth to, what I put my hope in. It's what I give my allegiance to. And so if I don't believe in God, then the only thing I have for hope is what? Is the world, is government, is the leaders of the world. That's the only thing I, that's the only option. And I have no other hope besides that if I reject God and reject seeking him. Um, and just by the way, if you were to travel to North Korea today, and especially if you're North Korean, you fly into that airport, there's a picture of the leader, whatever his name is, or not a picture, there's a statue. And if you're a part of that nation, you have to worship his statue as you enter in, right? And, uh, and I could go many other nations as well, because you think, oh, that's just old time. That's not around anymore. It is. It's just the course of history. We are a people drawn, right, to elevate people and give them worship. It's just, um, <clears throat> it's just giving them. That's what we put our hope in. That's what we worship. And uh, Americans in our West, right, is that what do we mainly worship if we don't worship God is, he said, you cannot worship God in money. And um, I think in this stage, that's one of the big challenges for us is are we, is my money and my retirement and my safety net, is that, is that my security? Is that my hope? Or is it really God? And that's a, a strong word for us. This idea of the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world, folks, um, you see this all, it's, it's five times in the book of Revelation. It's throughout the entire old and new. And this is just, this is the book of God's family. How do you get into that book with, and for all eternity, for eternal life and the love of God? Is, it's pretty simple, folks, but profound. Jesus came, and you don't have to put a show on. You don't have to be religious. You come as you are. We all come as we are, all of our mess, and we just simply say, Jesus, I believe you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I believe you come to this earth, and you've shed your blood to cover the sin of the world, right, to make things right so a people could actually be in the presence of a holy, perfect God and not, right, experience the wrath of God, his judgment. If he's a loving God, he has to judge the um, sin and things that are wrong for it to be just. And we simply say, Jesus, I believe you. By faith, I receive that. This is the grace. We're saved by grace, not by anything we can do. And folks, that's a, that is an open invitation. And immediately when I step in and Jesus, I want you, I, I believe you, boom, you are, you are written into that book for all eternity. Folks, no more important decision that we could all make. And back to our question, do we have faith that withstands hostility is, where is your faith? As times get tough, as times get confusing, man, where's my faith? Where's my stability, right? What I'm, I'm standing upon. And in verse 9, now he shifts gears and he says this, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And this is an important exhortation throughout the Bible. I talked about it earlier. He's, this is specifically to those, right, uh, uh, um, clearly who are um, in church, 
Open your ears. What's God saying? And are we listening to him, church? Or are we just tuning into a thousand podcasts and listening to the news and the media and everything? Stop all that. It won't bring any peace. It surely won't bring any righteousness in your life. Tune into what is God saying. He will speak. He has spoken and he's speaking still. And he says, verse 10, he says, if anyone is to be taken captive. And he's saying, church, listen up. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he will go. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Whoa. Now, there's some who've kind of played with the text to try to lighten this, to say, oh, that's, he's speaking about those who, uh, uh, who are going to get judged. No, that's speaking about the church. That's speaking about followers of Jesus in this time. He's saying, here's a call, church. Listen, open your ears. Do you have faith that's going to withstand hostility? Do you have faith that is going to stand strong in the midst of the, of the battle? Right? When there's the challenge against what you believe and you're going to have to compromise or not. Are you going to stand with Jesus and what he says or are you going to compromise? And uh, he says the time is coming in the end, right? Those will be taken to captivity. Those will be taken and will be killed for their faith if they uh, choose not to, what? Um, uh, to deny Christ and to do what the world says to do. And folks, we live in a time of compromise right now. I don't have to tell you what's going on in the church in America and the, and the struggles that we are, are having when it comes to our allegiance. So two things um, that I think are so critical today. We have two major temptations right now in the church, especially through the whole COVID thing, that have really gotten a hold of the church that we need to prayerfully understand. The first one is Christian nationalism. Is folks, is that um, that is a dangerous thing. The cross and the flag are never meant to go together. Now, this might shock you. This might disappoint you. Um, but those two never go together. Now, with that being said, folks, we are to be the best citizens we can. So my point is the church itself should never be harnessed for political means. That is dangerous. Individual citizens get out. Do the work. Be involved at every level of, of service and cause and, and vote, all that stuff. Right? Get involved for, and be salt and light out there. But when it comes to the church, the church is, comes together to worship God. We are citizens of heaven first and foremost. And what we have to realize is our hope is in the coming kingdom of God. There is not hope for the nation America ultimately. I know that just might throw some, and we're going to get even deeper into Babylon here in Revelation. Now, do I hope and pray and work as a citizen towards renewing America? Absolutely. But folks, let me just tell you, no nation, every nation, ultimately is under the power of Satan. Every nation is going to, what? Be aligned against the kingdom of God. There is no, quote, Christian nation. That is a fallacy. It is never to be the case. This is important to understand. If we don't get this right, what God is doing right now is he's separating, making sure that his kingdom is pure, his church is pure, right? Citizens of heaven, not citizens of this world. And uh, man, you get that confused, and let me tell you, it will not go well. It's not going well now, right? Is you lose something there. The other dangerous arm is, progr is Christian progressivism. And so what do we say? The seeker-sensitive movement says, wow, well, we just need to bridge to the culture. We need to look more like the culture, and we need to go soft on what God's word says on these cultural issues. That is a huge temptation. Sadly, you see Christians, you see churches who are, who are being tempted that way. And, uh, and they're falling away from the Lord. 
And we see that. Like never in our lifetime we've seen like Christians come out and say, no, I've rejected the faith now. Worship leaders, pastors, unbelievable. It's happening. Jesus said in Matthew 24, it would happen. Many would fall away as the time um, comes near. And so we have to stay away from both of these. And, um, and I think we need to hear this exhortation when it says, boy, this is a call for endurance. This is a call for wisdom among the saints and to understand our position before governments. And we have the blessing probably like no other nation in the world of being free citizens to be involved. And we need to take advantage of that. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But my need to understand, my, my involvement out there is salt and light. It is not thinking that legislation is going to change anybody's heart. I hope that Roe, just get very practical, I hope Roe versus Wade gets overturned. Of course, right? We're all about life, all of life, right? But I'm telling you right now, just changing leg- legislation is not going to change one heart. So you, we have to keep it in perspective, right? You got to keep it in perspective. And understand that the kingdom of God advances regardless of the laws of the land. Matter of fact, historically, the church is the most pure and the most powerful in the midst of a government in a system that is actually hostile to it. And this has been the course of church history. And I believe right now in America, God is weaning out, man, his children, the purity of his church, the focus, refocusing, right, on what we have to uh, focus on. In First Peter, I just want to read this, First Peter chapter 2, because I think in this, folks, is something on this one. I don't like to speak about Christian progressives, and that should be obvious that the progressive movement has harnessed the church. It's so destructive, and it's been the liberal movement in the church for years. Uh, but, boy, you reject God, and you fall away quick. You reject his word and everything else. But on this, in 1 Peter chapter 2, what does Peter tell us? Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And I just say with that is, is I think we need a little adjustment in our tone. And I'm speaking to myself here as well, right? In the sense of be respectful when we engage, especially out in civic issues. And realize anybody in any position of power is there. God's allowed it. And we're to honor even if there is, even if we radically disagree, we are to be people free and realize, hey, our ultimate kingdom and allegiance is not of this world. And no political system is going to stand that is not going to be ultimately taken by the powers of evil here. And there should be a sense of peace in that. Get out there and work. Be involved, right? Push for this legislation, that legislation, local government. Yes, be, have an entrepreneurial spirit of salt and light. But boy, be careful that your hope is not in the legislation, or the government. It's only in the kingdom of God, right? He goes on here and says, and then I saw another beast rising up out of the earth. This is the false prophet um, who will come alongside this world leader and is going to harness the religions of the world. He's going to have some religious power and is going to, as we're going to see, be a pretty amazing character. He had two horns like a lamb. And again, all the enemy does is try to um, disguise himself as, 
and duplicate what God has already done in the world. And this is why you see this unholy trinity of the dragon, Satan, uh, the first beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. He's trying to duplicate God. And we'll see this all through the rest of this chapter. And, uh, and he spoke like a dragon and exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So somehow, folks, this world leader is going to have a death and resurrection experience. Again, he's duplicating, right? And who, who isn't going to, and this is what it says, it, it performs great signs, even this is the false prophet for the beast, making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people and by signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image uh, for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So this is some kind of, the beginning of this whole thing is, is some kind of image. This goes back to Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, who built an image, right? We'll talk about that in a second. Is uh, some kind of image or something just to commemorate this amazing leader who's brought peace, aligned the nations, and boy, who has, who's so slick and wonderful. He's not going to look like red horns and Eva. He's going to look great. And this, this prophet guy is going to look at And this is a blending of government power and religious power together in a way like the world has never seen it before. Little side note, at the fourth century, folks, when the Christian, when Constantine made Christianity the, the national religion, that's when all hell broke loose and the impurity of the church began the dark ages. Just saying. The church was never to be blended with any political system. Political systems are things of man, things of this world. If you follow Jesus, you have been what? It says in Colossians, you have been removed, taken out of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the world, into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun, a heavenly kingdom that is yet waiting to come right here um, on this earth. But it says they make some, uh, some kind of image, right? And it says, um, and it was allowed to give breath to this image. In other words, somehow this image comes alive somehow. Like, what in the world? And so that the image, remember, this is John writing. He's trying to put this in language thousands of years before we had AI or any kind of, you know, creativity towards all this, right? And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom, church. Let the one who has understanding, church, calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Wow. There's a lot in that little chapter, huh? Man, we don't even have time to just go and just get to the details of all this. I hope it overwhelmed. I hope a sense of curiosity and amazement with what's going on in our world right now, even the last couple of years, that's in the Bible, thousands of years ahead of time. I'm not saying that we're here right now towards the end, but you know what? We can be. The pieces of the puzzle are all here, right? So um, just a couple things here. First of all, two things just for you to think about. Here's the first one, tied to this idea of an image, right? The deep, dark, evil thing behind um, a lot of this uh, media, tech, AI stuff, the deep, dark thing is this lie 
And maybe you've read about it called transhumanism and, or technosapiens. There's all kinds of words being thrown out. But this lie that, guess what? Through AI, through our science and, and, and wisdom, we can actually take your brains, who you are, and get it into a computer, and you can live forever. And you can live through AI. We can suck your brain and bring you alive in another format, in the metaverse or whatever, you know, is going on. So do you realize that we live in a time and age that this verse actually can happen and is happening, right? I just want that to sink in. And I want you to understand that that's fact, what I just told you. That is behind. That is the, when you reject God, then you've got to be your own savior. And what do you do? You have to duplicate God. You have to recreate, be a creator, and do what only God can do. And this is what the, the, um, the world leader, what the Antichrist will do and foster. Here's another thing to think about. Is today and marketplace, people think about the marketplace. is Like this quick, the marketplace has been weaponized. It's been weaponized. It used to be I could work for a company and I was free to believe the values and, and everything I wanted to. I didn't have to adopt values that were shoved down my throat that a company has adopted. Do you understand what I'm saying? Today it's chic. Every company, I don't care what it is out there, you've got to have a cause. You've got to have, you can't just make a great widget any longer and rejoice in a great widget. Is You've got to also have some great cause out there right, to be behind that. And folks, the marketplace is more weaponized than ever before. The media marketplace thinks they, right, are the um, authority on what is truth and what isn't truth and what can be allowed to be spoken in a culture that was built on the freedom of speech. Does that make sense? I just want you to think about these things like, wow, interesting, right? What's, what's going on in light of what God's word says? So that's just, a, I mean, we could go on and on. I just encourage you, dive in. But the bigger issue in all that is not get caught up, not get fearful, but like, wow, where is my hope? Ultimately, where is my hope? And, and folks, I, I, what I hear all the time, and again, I'm, I'm just as susceptible to it, is thinking in this time, well, I've got I've to build a, a bunker. I've got you know, to get my resources together in case things fall apart. I've got to be safe. And, and folks, in that language, what we're saying is I, I, I'm, my hope is in my money, is in my retirement, is in what I've prepared rather than in God. We have to be real careful with that with that mentality that is across the church in a huge way right today. Where is our hope and is our faith strong enough to stand? So I want to make a connection here as we start wrapping this up. Verse 13 against, you know, it's like, look, John is saying, church, be ready. There's going to be persecution. It's going to increase and to the end, and it's going to increase to the point where, where the people of God are going to across the world now, not just in Rome or in Jerusalem or and again, I, I think, I can't remember if I already said it, but today more people are, are losing, being martyred for, for the name of Jesus than ever before in the history of the world. Do you know that? Whether it's China, whether it's the Middle East, or go to those places in Africa, Indonesia, on and on, right? People are, are, uh, are, are losing their life. Pakistan, Afghanistan, I could go on and on um, on this. And what he's saying is this will be a global thing is that the church, if you follow Jesus, is that you, and, and you don't give allegiance to the beast, the system where you have to buy and sell is you're going to be eliminated. Um, and folks, it just raises this issue. Wow, where is my faith? Have I thought about these issues? Because if we haven't, is that, you know what, when we're pressed into it, just like even now when it comes to a social issue or an issue in the Bible is if I waffle, 
I'm not going to be able to stand. And if I don't have other strong people that I've got around that are exhorting me to keep my faith based on the word of God, is I will waffle, I will not stand, right? In the midst of that, but God has given his power. He's given his people, he's given his Holy Spirit that we would stand, that we would be able to exhort one another. And so he says here, this is a call for endurance and faith for the saints. Church, he says, come on, you make sure that you understand this walk with Jesus, it is, there's a cost. It takes endurance. And the only way I can endure it is if I have other brothers and sisters that encourage me, right? In the process, uh, faith is not something that just kind of happens. I made a decision to follow Jesus at one point, and it just stays. No, it will fade away quickly, and we're seeing that, right, in our culture. And uh, this is Hebrews 3, folks, um, verses 12 through 14. Well, I hope you write this down and just take some time with this. Um, take care, brothers. Lest there be in any one of... This is to the church. That, that word in the Greek, brothers and sisters. That's the church. That's the family of God. Take care, folks. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving spirit leading you to fall away from the living God. Folks, that's happening like never before in America. It is tragic what is going on. And so I exhort you this morning. Where's your faith? Let's encourage each other. I mean, every, a week doesn't go by where you don't hear a pastor or worship leader or somebody coming out and saying, oh, I'm, 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 d- I'm done with the, that faith. That was a lie. Never in the history of America had you heard that like that before, right? Or churches caving to the progressive movement, rejecting the word of God, what it clearly says, right, about family and values and, and, and the, the holiness of God, right? Exhort one another every day. So that's it. Exhort one. Encourage one another. That's a strong word to exhort. Every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The enemy's thing is to deceive you. He's done it from the very beginning. He deceives. That's how he puts us in bondage, right? From the truth. Uh, For we have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Hold it firm. And folks, I think we all know this would be a cause of prayer. We all know people who've kind of just faded away from the faith, faded away from a zeal for the Lord, faded away from church, faded away, right, from fellowship. And the scripture in Jude and other places says, man, go out and love them, grab a hold of them, get them, get them back in, exhort them, encourage them, right, in their their faith. And just in closing, and team, y'all can come on up here. Um, move this out of the way. But just in closing, folks, I want to just talk about this, uh, um, this story of Daniel. Because everything in Revelation comes from the, uh, the Old Testament, right? And if you know the story of Daniel, right, this is back in the time of Babylon, uh, 6th century BC, and uh, um, Israel had rejected God, right? And they were, it was told that Babylon was going to come and wipe them out. God uses evil empires, to discipline his people. And that's the whole story of the Old Testament, ultimately, right? Until we need a savior. And, um, and so in Babylon, what happened here in the book of Daniel, you had four guys, they were teenagers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. And folks, these were, these were zealous guys for the Lord. Without their fellowship, folks, they would not have been able to stand. And they stood under the pressure of this evil empire and because of that, God exalted them. Now, listen to this. These guys, all four of them, were raised from being captives out of Jerusalem into a foreign country that had just gone in and wiped their nation out. 
And because of their faith, God elevated them. King Nebuchadnezzar elevated them unto the highest levels of government in Babylon. They had more wealth and more power than anybody in the government. Amazing. So this is the context. And so that was going to be, their faith was going to be tested at some point. And we know later in chapter 6, Daniel's faith was tested in the lion's den. If he was going to honor uh, the king or honor his king before. And we know what happened. Daniel was thrown into the pit. But here, right, an image was made because of commemorating how great Babylon was, how great King Nebuchadnezzar was. So there's nothing new under the sun. This image was made. And again, all of the government officials, because of rallying their power, you know, said, okay, now if anybody doesn't bow down and give us allegiance and power, then you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, killed immediately, right? And again, the context, folks, this is exactly what was going on in Asia Meyer to the believers of the church um, um, during the uh, first century that John was writing to because uh, emperor worship had taken over under Domitian. And you had to go in. All you had to do was, man, just come on in here. And, um, and this is what King Nebuchadnezzar said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, man, come on, guys. Just, just I'm going to play the trumpet because he loved them. He, these were top guys in his kingdom. Just bow down. Just bow down. Just, just bow down a little bit and give allegiance to the government. And, and man, it'll be good. And, uh, and the same thing was going on, right? Because all you had to do was go into the temple and scatter a little incense on the, on the temple's, on the uh, emperor's feet, and you were good. But if you didn't do that, right, then you were persecuted, you were thrown in jail. That was going on in Asia at the time. And so it was the same lies, like, come on, come on, church, just, what's the big deal? Just scatter a little, just go in there, give your allegiance, just scatter a little, you know, incense, and you'll be done, you'll be fine. And so what happened, this is the awesome statement when the king said, come on, guys, just, just bow down a little bit. No big deal. Just give a little loyalty, you know, to, to the kingdom. If this be so, O um, king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Look at the faith. He will. In other words, they realize, and it goes on, right? But if not, be it known to you, O king. That we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Folks, that's faith. That's faith that can stand under anything. That's bold faith. And that's faith that Jesus shows up at. So they're thrown in immediately into this fiery furnace. The guys that threw it in were wiped out because it was so hot. And all of a sudden they see, but there's a fourth guy in there. Jesus was walking with them. And folks, I, I just, I, I fear for the church today in America. Where, do we have that kind of faith that we're that close with that? We, we know Jesus that well. And when it all comes down to know that, man, no matter what he calls me to do, I know he's going to hold my hand in it. He's going to hold my hand in it. And I'm going to be with him, you know, more than, you know, fall away and deny his name in the end. Um, and so, folks, just as we move into a little bit of ministry time as we close, I just, I just ask you, exhort one another. Exhort one another. Encourage one another in these times. Where's our faith? Let's dive in on this stuff. So, Father, we just thank you. Strengthen us, Lord. Let your words sink deep in our soul, God. Holy Spirit, move now as we come to your table, prepare for some ministry, some encouragement with each other, Lord, that... Father, we just, we'd have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. You've given those spiritual gifts. We need them in your church, Lord. We need wisdom. We need your people to speak wisdom, understanding. Now come and speak to us. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.